What's up, everybody? This is Matt, the host of All Things Matt. It makes sense. Um, I am with somebody who's super rad. He's a good friend of mine. I've known him for, I don't know, what? Was it 2008? I can't remember the years it was at. I'm pretty sure it was 08. It's been a decade. It's been a decade. It was 2008. No, that's not true. No, I think it is 2008. January of 09. That's what it was. I think you might be right. Yeah, Positive. because you know it was. That's right. It was in the middle. It was in the middle of the school year, technically. Yeah, yeah. And I, the second trans, the second semester, I ended up transferring to LDSBC for yep. the semester. That was it. That's so right. it's been like nine years. That's. A, I mean, that's a long time, though. Anyways, and we've talked every day. Every day since. Every and, day we talk to each other. And there was a three-year period where you <laughs> sent me a postcard every day, and my mom wouldn't give them to that's me. That's right. And then one day I showed up and I said, "You built me why, a house. Why didn't you ever write?" You built me a house, <laughs> and it was raining. It was pouring rain. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, yeah, that was a, that was like probably two thousand twelve. Yeah, that was a that was a beautiful memory for me at that moment. It was beautiful, but at the same time, it was a rough patch in my life. It was very emotional. Well, you were engaged to James Marston at the time. That's true. That was rough, but it worked out. I had a, I had a serious decision on my hands. Yeah. So, but you're yeah, here, you're here now, and that's and all we're nice. over it. Yeah. So here we are now, two thousand eighteen. Solid nine years. And uh, Eric is not only an awesome person, but he's one of the most interesting people that I know. Super intelligent. He's a great conversationalist. And he is a... You're setting me up to fail. Uh, no, I'm setting <laughs> you up for success. No, you're setting, you're setting me up to fail. If, if, if I'm not interesting in any way now, they're going to... They're gonna, they're, gonna, they're not going to believe you won. We've been talking for about 30 minutes pre-podcast <laughs> episode, and it's been... It's been, it's been funny, and also there is some sadness involved, but it is still funny. Sadness is the best humor. It was Lana Del Rey's version of summertime sadness for about thirty minutes, yeah. um, and he, we're just gonna chat, and we're gonna talk about yeah, who he is, what he's doing, etc. So just, just gonna chat, Eric. What's up? Introduce yourself. Who are you? Yeah, man. Um, for all the millions of viewers, um, Eric Wood. Um, filmmaker and actor, and uh, originally from Northern California, moved out to Utah in 2006, and uh, just been out here living the dream ever since. Currently, we are filming or recording the podcast in in his <laughs> residence. Uh, so I pulled into his um, apartment, which is a basement, and. I parked and I sat there. I was finishing a phone call, and there was a 1973 white and orange trailer, probably about 15 feet in length. And I I was excited because I thought for sure Eric was living this trailer behind the house. I'm you were like, you're expecting me to pop my head out of the out just, of the door and just be like, hey, I come wish, on in. I was upset when I saw you come out of the house. I was like, damn it. Um, but yeah, I should have introduced that part of Eric. He is an actor, a filmmaker, works on various projects, and he's uh, doing some really cool things. How did you even get into acting? Like when when it? Because I I never knew you as an actor. Yeah, so it was pretty interesting because all growing up I did sports and never did acting, and um, I I was I had a mortal fear of of auditioning. I, I never ever could consider myself to audition because I auditioned for a bunch of choirs and stuff like that that my mom forced me to try <laughs> to to actually go and sing, and I I would never I would never get into any of them, and and for How sports old were you at that point, 
Teenager what? Yeah, teenager. I mean, it was, it was all growing up. Like, I think the earliest memory I had was, like, auditioning for the Music Man, like, as one of the little extras. <laughs> and 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 I blew the audition. And I remember, like, vividly blowing the audition. And then just throughout the years, my mom would, you know, work up the energy to get me to go on audition for something else. And then it just would never work out. But then in sports, every time I would, I would try out for a sports team, I made it. Sure. So I kept thinking, all growing up, like, this, this paradigm was, like, you're a sports guy. Yeah. So... Post college or post high school, in the middle of high college, I you know I had this epiphany. I was like, you know, like sports aren't my thing anymore. Like I enjoy sports, but I can't really. Intramurals is, you know, it gets a little crazy. It's a little intense. So I just kind of said to myself, if I ever get in acting, which would I'd be totally interested in doing, because I've always been had a passion for for movies and film. Sure. Someone would just have to see me and offer me a role. Uh huh. So one day, I got a call. <laughs> <laughs> I got a call and my cousin was like, hey, Eric, they, these, there's these BYU-Idaho students that have made a movie, a feature before, and they're making another one and they need a leading man. And I told them that you'd be great for it and they want you to come up and play this part. And part of me was like, this feels too good to be true. Yeah. But then like, I went and actually like, I agreed to it after I read the script. What so, was it? What script was it? Did I ever... You never saw it because I've, I've done everything in my power to make sure that this film never sees the light of day. No, I'm kidding. Listen, it was a good experience. I think everybody involved, including the writer and the director, would would agree that we were all very, um, we were all trying our very hardest. But anyway, I, I went up there and I shot on location in, in Rexburg for, it was for like 30 days. I got paid. Okay, it wasn't so it was a, a while. 30 days. I've been... Roughly, yeah, it was about a month. I was on a, I was, uh, you know. Was it winter or summer? Uh, it was summer. So it was right before school started. It was okay. like July. Okay. What was it called? The movie. <laughs> I, I, tell you, I can't, can't tell you that. You man. have to. <laughs> the name of the movie is called No Precedence. Okay. So, um, but yeah, anyway. Where can I find it? <laughs> okay. That, that's a hard no. I'm going to find it on YouTube. <laughs> no, you're not. I'm going to share it for no, everyone to see. No, you're not. But so that, the, the crazy thing about the movie was, is I, they put me up in this apartment that was unfurnished. Uh-huh. So they they purchased. I think I think they paid like 150 bucks for the whole month because no one was. It's middle. It's the right. summer in Rexburg, right? right? So nobody's living up there, and so like yeah, 150 bucks. They gave me a mattress that had a slow leak. So every night I middle of the night I'd wake up and it would be flat. So An I'd air blow, mattress. Air mattress. Okay. I kept blowing it up and everything, and like I they didn't teach me how to turn on the 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 heater. So like it would get super cold at night and I was freezing. They didn't again no furniture, no TV. So they gave me a little portable DVD player. So I'd sit there and it would sit on my lap like on the days off and I watch like Malcolm in the Middle. Sure. And then on and then the days we're shooting, we're out there and it's me, you know, the other actor who ended up being my cousin Melanie Stone. Oh yeah. And um, and the director and sometimes there'd be someone else, but most of the time it was just us 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 few. So it was clearly a low budget film. It was very low budget. <laughs> I think a portion of their, a large portion of their budget was was paying for me, which <laughs> to live in an apartment. I, I think they overpaid. <laughs> Back then, it wasn't very good. But the crazy thing is, is out of that whole experience, it being as terrible as it was in terms of the conditions, I had a blast, and I would do it again because I had so much fun, and I kept. I started thinking about ideas and my creative. It juices sounds like scout camp. It was better than scout camp. I mean, my experience with scout camp is I hated it. My yeah. parents always forced me to go, but right. at the end of it, it's like, I guess I'll go next year. Because <laughs> my friends are going, I mean, I'll sleep on a damn rock, but yeah. I mean, okay, so, yeah. See, you and I had very different experiences of scout camp. I got kicked the, out every year. There was a kid named Neil 
who is a maniac. Is he used to I, already, to I already don't like Neil. Dude, he's the worst. He used to pretend to speak in tongues. And one time he <laughs> snuck up behind me and put a hatchet to my neck. And I was probably 13. Wow. And he like, put a hatchet to my throat. Neil and started like, dude, he was a freak. Yeah. And he like pretended to speak in tongues or something. And I like, my buddy, some of my friends were sitting there. And they're like, what the hell are you doing, Neil? And I was like, oh, it's Neil. So I like pushed the hatchet away. I stand up and just uppercut this dude. <laughs> Like, just Rick James this mother effort. Like, he went, like, three feet off the ground, I feel like. And he fell to the ground. Neil didn't, Neil didn't mess with you anymore. No, I got hit out that day. And my friends were like, well, if you get hit out, we're leaving too. So I, like, they call my dad. My dad's like, why'd you get hit out? I was like, I do put a hatchet to my neck. And I punched him. He's like, okay, are you hungry? Where do you want to get dinner? And my dad was super chill about it. <laughs> So well, was, no wonder you wanted to go back. You, mean, your, your friends probably thought you were the coolest thing ever. You know what happened to my scout camp? I, woke, I don't know if I want to know. I, I went to bed one night. Oh, jeez. Because I had been teasing a bunch of guys. And these were older guys in my group. Okay. Right? So I'm like the 14-year-old. They're like the 17-year-olds. And I'm teasing them and making fun of them. Uh-huh. But it's not like they're like helpless. These are like normal guys. Sure. So I'm not teasing like socially awkward Boy Scouts. Yeah. Anyway, I go to bed one night, and strangely, my, my, my tent mate doesn't want to sleep in the tent with me. I should have realized that that was hit number one, <laughs> that something was going on. Well, I, I'm, I'm tired and whatever, and I don't have a flashlight because I'm super edgy like that. And I, I get into the bed, and all of a su- or my sleeping bag, and all of a sudden, the most intense pain starts shooting through my leg. So I, I throw it open, and I'm screaming, and I can't see what's going on. And also, one of the camp leaders comes in, opens it up, and shines a flashlight, and there are yellow jackets. Oh. All over my leg, biting my leg all over, and I'm screaming and slapping. Long story short, <laughs> these guys have gotten so mad at me, they trapped the whole like yellow jacket nest and stuck it in my sleeping bag. My knees swole up so bad, and this was back in the like the baggy jeans era. Yeah. <laughs> my knee was so swollen I couldn't pull I couldn't pull my jeans over my knee. Oh my heck. And I was the state president's son. I would have probably. I, like, I wanted. I wanted my dad to, to fire them all from the church back then, but he unfortunately didn't have the power to do that. I probably would have taken it a step further and like put like a lock on their zipper <laughs> and set their tent on fire. I would no. have been pretty pissed. See, I I had I had the like the back then I was like fourteen. I was I was actually really small. Okay. I I had a I was a late I was a late bloomer. Okay. So I couldn't I couldn't physically do anything to these guys. They were much bigger than me, but I had a mouth on me. See. I'm blessed because I've always had a mouth, but I've always been bigger yeah. than most people. You can always back it up. Yeah, so it was always fine. Speaking of which, I actually got stung by a wasp the other day while wake surfing, right on my knee, on my elbow. Where were you wake surfing? Uh, Deer Creek, the reservoir. Does anyone ever uh, I don't think go so. to Utah Lake anymore? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure there's like piranhas and like, <laughs> toxic Well, it's waste. like some kind of algae, right? Like some yeah, kind of gross... Yeah, toxic to- waste or something. That's so sad. I don't, well, it's too shallow and it's stagnant. It's like a giant mud puddle. It just sits there. And gets hot and gross. So I was like sitting mm. on the boat after wake surfing and someone else was going and I was watching and I like leaned back and put my arm back on the seat and it was their leather seats and it was really hot. So I thought like I got burned mm-hmm. by the leather. I was like, damn, that's hot. And all of a sudden this damn wasp flies away and it starts like pulsating right where it bit me. So there's <laughs> there's a little like, red mark there and a little droplet of blood and I was like, dude. This really hurts. Like, I, don't think, <laughs> I haven't been stung by a bee probably since I was like eight or nine. And it really hurt. And it doesn't even die. It's not like a bee. It flew away. It flew away like willy-nilly. didn't even... Yeah, it, stoked. Like, yeah. if that guy just Yeah, exactly. Flew away. It won. A freaking asshole bee. Yeah. So, okay. So you 
you got into acting. Yeah. And your first role was a low budget film. Yeah. In 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 Rexburg, and you slept on this mat. What happened after that? What did you have a good experience to where you wanted to? You like this is what I want to do with my life. What happened? No, yeah. So back then, my mindset was pretty. Uh, I don't want to say messed up. For lack of a better term, I'll say messed up. I kept thinking to myself that I could never do anything like that because it didn't fit into the mold of like what LDS, like what an LDS Mormon could be. Sure. You can't be an actor and be active kind of thing. And sure. so I, I just found it to be like this really cool passion. But, um, you know, so I started doing like, you know, web series and um, little, you know, short films with friends every now and then. I wasn't writing or directing back then. I was just strictly acting. And, and I've never really looked at acting as like, this is going to be the thing that is going to be my ticket to, to happiness or success or the thing that I want to do more than anything. But, um, yeah, like what inevitably happened is I, I ended up getting married and my, my wife at the time uh, <laughs> asked me to not uh, act anymore. She told me she was embarrassed by my acting. Were and, you horrible? Well, yeah, Probably. But, I mean, I've but seen I really, some of your stuff, your short films, and I thought you were good. Thanks. Why was she embarrassed of you? I don't know. I, so I think, I think her, and I don't want to make any um, like statements of what um, she was believing or feeling, but I think for her, she's more introverted and didn't want to put herself out there like that in a way that potentially came off as goofy or silly or... Because like she was a dancer, and so like it wasn't that she's like doesn't understand like performing. Sure. But I think for her, like the way I was acting, maybe maybe I was terrible. Maybe I am terrible. I don't know. Either way, I stopped doing it. That's pretty selfish of her. Well, yeah. I mean, in hindsight, yeah, it was. Yeah. And she she didn't really like was interested in that part of me, so I just never brought it up. And then we got divorced, you know, uh, which I'm sure is a big shocker to people. Um, hearing something like that as part of the relationship. Uh, you, you love this thing? I don't want you to do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so I, then I, after the divorce, as I think many people that go through a divorce realize is like your identity is, is in question quite a bit. Sure. A lot of times. And for me, that's definitely the case. So I was like, who am I? Like, who am I going to be? Who, who is the real Eric? And so I finally just uh, recommitted myself and realized that it was my passion, filmmaking, writing and directing had always been something I want to do. And then still, I didn't even do anything for a long time until December of 2015. I re-entered myself back into like corporate USA, nine to five job. The safe bet, acceptable by yeah. parents and all that jazz. Steady meal and a roof yeah. over your head and all that nine stuff. Nine to five cubicle. I had bought a house in Draper. I was, you know, making a decent amount. I had, um, you know, taken a job for a company called... Um, well, I won't say the name of the company, but it, it was director of operations and I was opening up, you know, and running their stuff. And they were telling me that, you know, yeah, next six months, we're going to have you be the VP of operations and all this stuff. So like in terms of trajectory and ceiling, it was looking good for me. Sure. But I was so miserable and I was so sad. And like every day I showed up to work, it was a constant grind. And people talk about like the Sunday anxiety. Uh, I had that every night before dude, I real. went to bed. It's, it's real. No, it's 100% a real it's thing. It's so real. Like the thing that sucks about the weekend is like Saturday's great, but like, all day Sunday, you're like, I have to go back to work tomorrow. Yeah. Like, I, it, it's crazy to me, like, so many people get caught up in this, like, people take these jobs all the time. You've seen Fight Club before, and I've mentioned that on this podcast uh, before. Hey, like, hey. Yeah, it's, you're, not, you're not supposed to talk about Fight Club. Why? It's rule number one. And number oh, yeah, two. my bad. So there's a movie, and he, in the movie, he says that you basically, people take these 
bullcrap jobs, they make money they don't have to buy things they don't want. Sure. And it's our, our social, our, our Great Depression isn't our whatever, it's our lives, right? And it's like, it's so true. Like, I would be willing to bet that, I mean, I, there's obviously, there's got to be some numbers and polls out there, but I bet you less than 20% of people are excited to go to work on a regular basis. Yeah, I don't know what the number is, but I, I, I feel like it's your body's way of telling you that you're not necessarily doing the right thing or your mindset isn't necessarily for sure lined with what you're doing. Like you, sure. you're not viewing it in the correct way. If you're that concerned about it, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. I'm not talking about just nervousness. I'm talking about full anxiety where you're thinking about like inventing ideas of how you could not go. Sure. Like I don't want to do this. I, I'm sick uh, or I feel sick or my grandma died. Like I can't tell you the, the whole realm of excuses <laughs> I came to get out of work depending sure. on the job. Sure. And the worse the job, the more creative the, like, the stuff I came up with. I worked at a place in college uh, called Interstate Batteries. And oh, that sounds amazing. Oh, dude, it was phenomenal. <laughs> I worked there. I mean, I will say that all I did all day was in a warehouse pick up batteries, move them from one pallet to another all day. Like what, what do you mean batteries? Like like, like AAA? Batteries. Oh, car, car batteries. Car batteries and like bus batteries. Oh, Interstate. I'm an idiot. Diesel yeah, okay. Yeah, right? I've, I've heard of the brand Interstate. Yeah, and so I was doing that all day long. And like I will say the one good thing is like my forearms got massive. I looked at Popeye. <laughs> yeah. Like legit. But I hated that job so much because it was so hot in the warehouse. Yeah. There was no AC. And I remember one day. And you weren't just, using your mind. You are just. I wasn't. I wasn't. I was in college and I was like wrestling in college and this was like a summer gig. Yeah. I remember one day I was at work and I was like. You know what? I'm not feeling well. I need to go home. I went home. I played Madden. I never went back to work. Never went back? No. But it can happen like that. Dude, you have a sense of realization. And you're just like, I'm done. The thing is, though, I had no plan of how I was going to make any money or pay rent or but do anything. But you knew you were going to do it that way. I knew I wasn't going to do that way. And yeah. more importantly, like I wasn't afraid to do it. I was yeah. like, I, I'm done. But that's a great moment. I just hit a brick wall and I was like... I'm done. That's that's a great moment. It was great. I mean, if you if you're in a rut like that, you pray for a moment like that to happen for oh. you to finally get the guts to Absolutely. just say I'm done. Absolutely. And that's I mean that's what happened to me in December of 2015. I was talking on the phone with a friend, and I kind of hit the height of my anxiety where I was just like it became it became so evident to me. It's like why am I doing this? Yeah. And and everything around me became clear what it was. It became an illusion. It became like a mask. The house I owned, all this, all the furniture I bought, and the the car I had, like everything, was stuff that was tying me down, you know, from actually getting to. It wasn't even things that you really wanted. That's right. It was things that you thought you wanted, things that you were told you wanted. That's right. The dream was had nothing oh, to do with I you. have to have a house, and you can't have an empty house, so you have to fill the house with right. things. So I kept buying shit and more yeah. and more, and then it got to the point where I have all this anxiety, and I've got all these bills, and so I'm living to pay my bills. Right. And these things I don't even care about. So it finally became this thing where I just, I was on the phone with a friend and the thought process was like, what would you do if money wasn't like an issue? And I was like, film, I would go do film. I was like, well, where, where's an avenue in the film? And back then, like, I didn't really have any friends like that were doing film. Like I had some, but like no one that I really trusted that I saw sure. was like, if I talked with this person and networked with this sure. person that I could get in and start doing it. So I was like, well, there's like school, there's UVU. I can go to school at UVU and do film. And I don't know if that's the right path, but it seems like the, the correct one at this moment. Sure. And so it just clicked. The, the, the concept was this. I would rather take out loans and go back to school and be poor doing film than have a house and everything else and have money doing this other thing. So like when you laid it out like that. And Are you was, married at this moment? No. No, okay. No, no, no. Yeah, this was uh, a, like three years post-divorce. Okay. December of 2015. Okay. It's like two and a half years. Okay. And so I walked into work the next day. 
I handed in my work laptop and I, I, I just, I looked at the receptionist who's like kind of the office manager. And I said, Hey, uh, I quit. So <laughs> did you skip here's out? this? Oh, I, that was it. I was done. I, I, cause I, I, it was, it was a paradigm shift for me. I realized I would never do this type of thing again. Sure. I would never come back to this corporate world. I have no interest in, and I, one could say like, you should give your two weeks. I'm sorry. I would have been stealing from them at that point. Sure. I wouldn't have done any work in those two weeks. <laughs> like, sure. so if you say, yeah, give them your two weeks. Well, I would have called in sick for two weeks. Right. And they would Take have paid me. vacation and paid leave. That's right. So I was doing them a favor by just saying, and you know what? They didn't look like they were that upset. I think I mentally checked out a few weeks earlier. Sure. So I had enrolled in school the next, uh, you know, for that next semester. I got it by like two days and it just happened to be like serendipity in the sense that like the deadline to get into that next semester and I remember walking down the halls of UVU that that very next, uh, that first day of school when I was back in school going to film classes. And I started crying. I started weeping in the hallway. Because you were nervous or what? No, I was I was so happy. Just happy to be like I was, out of all that garbage. It was it was finally like this harmony that I felt inside of me to, yeah. to be doing something that I wanted to do as opposed to being tied into something that I felt like I had to do. Sure. And so, and it was, it was acting, right? It was acting upon something rather than being acted upon. Sure. So, I mean, the, you, you're here, right? your own shots, dude. I mean, yeah. there's something, I, I, I know that feeling, you know? I mean, I've, I've, I've worked for other people before and it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you're just building someone else's dream. You're literally just That's checking right. a box. Yeah. You're pushing paper. You're in a nine to five. They tell yeah. you when you can show up, when you can leave. I mean, to me, like I look at it and I, 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 I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan, his podcast. Yeah. And he says things and references books and I've read a handful of them. And uh, one of the constant messages that he, that I love about him so much, and this is something that I've come to adopt as well, is like as human beings, specifically like a man, my my job is like my natural instinct is to like protect and provide sure. and, and, and to live freely. And there's something about the social norms that have become essentially modern day slavery, I think. Hmm. You know, credit card companies, oh, yeah, for example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean credit card companies and mortgages, I mean those those are not designed to be beneficial to the consumer. Right. But they market it that way because right. they spend billions of dollars annually marketing, hey, you need this, you need that, put on a credit card, charge it, et cetera. And it's like, why, like, why, why else? I mean, depression rates, suicide yeah. rates, all these things are just astronomically higher today than they were in the sixties and seventies before these things were fully, sure. you know. So no, I'm I, listen. I I feel the same way about a lot of things, but you know, I try to trend not to towards conspiracy, not to say that yours is conspiracy. It probably is. No, I don't know. I don't think it is because I mean, the the thing is, is there's two sides to that coin. So you, you talk about like the you know credit cards and stuff like that. If someone uses it responsibly, a credit card can be hugely Correct. beneficial. Correct. But you're right. But there aren't like a ton of things in place to like to stop people who are irresponsible from using. And odds that. are you're using the credit card, and people who are getting credit cards are using those credit cards because they don't have the money. That's to right. That's pay t- for it. Sure. Typically, right? Yep. And, and they know that. Yeah. And they freely give it to you. And I got a credit card in the middle, and it's 18 years old. Yeah. I was 18. I turned 18. I was like, "What is this? I didn't. I don't know." I don't have a freaking Bank right. of America checking account. Next thing I know, $2,300 and I'm being sent to collections. <laughs> <laughs> my parents, my, that was one thing that I think my parents taught me. In I didn't terms tell of my parents about it, by the way. They never, they, they always let us know that debt is like, you never want to get into debt. So I'm mortified to get into For debt. Sure. Anytime I do, it's typically the, the one thing on my mind until I can pay it off. So it's never been a problem. But schooling for me is a bit like that. Like you talk about this thing where we're, 
we're conditioned to get into this thing that, that traps us. For sure. So that was part of my experience with even film schools. I, I went to two semesters and in the middle of the second semester, I had this, I had another epiphany uh-huh. and it was, this isn't the way to get to, to, to make, to make film, to, to be in the film industry and be successful. At least not for me. Like if I had been going to USC or UCLA, it may have been different because sure. like the type, the type of people I'm going to be networking with there are sure. going to be, they're going to be in involved in, in making films and it would have been really in my best, it had been in my best uh, interest sure. to stay and, and get connected to something like that. But you're going to pay a pretty penny if you go to that school. Definitely. So UVU, I'm there and they're on a, they're a, what's called a below the line school. So in film, you have above the line and below the line. And, and I simply put, and this is probably an overgeneralization, but above the line is just creative people and below the line is the people that are executing the creation sure. or the idea. Sure. So they're all below the line. So if you want to learn how to be uh, what's called a grip um, or a PA, which is a production assistant or uh, a cinematographer even, which is technically in some realms above the line because they're dealing with the vision or the aesthetic appeal of a film. Uh-huh. Um, but if you want to essentially have your hands on equipment and understand how to do those things, an editor, all that kind of stuff. But even then, yeah. So they just deal with the technical aspect of filmmaking. Sure. But the creative aspect is limited. So I took all the writing courses, and those were great. And the writing teacher was there. Professor there was, was a great guy, and I like him a lot. But then after that, it was like, what, what else is there? And so I looked at the rest of the courses they had me taking, and it was like intro to, to sound. And I'm like, guys, I, I want to write. I want to direct. I want to produce. Sure, it might be in my best interest to take this stuff. But at the end of the day, when I get my, my degree – who am I going to take that to and get a job from in the film industry? Sure. It doesn't exist. At all. It's, the film industry is really interesting because it's much, I think, how the world functions is what can you do for me? Sure. And they want to see that. And if, you, if, you're, if I'm a filmmaker or a director, you know, they're going to go, well, what have you directed? Right. If I'm a writer, they, what have you written? Right. Everyone wants to talk about what they are, but no one wants to show you what they've done. Sure. So for me, it was Good point. You know, very much like, I need to go out and I need to start making stuff and writing. So that's when I quit. I quit school that very next semester. I took two semesters and the second one I quit. And and then I started writing. And I was mainly paying, I'm, you know, I do uh, voiceover work and acting stuff to pay my bills. And then I've been working on a couple of feature films, um, one of which were, you know, getting ready to get into pre-production and come up with a pitch package and move towards trying to get some investment. So that's kind of where I'm at in terms of that kind of stuff. Are they based locally? The films, hopefully, yeah, would be shot here. I mean, okay. I, I think there's so much talent here, and I think you know that there's movies that are made here. Oh yeah, and um, you know, a lot of people don't realize Dumb and Dumber was made here. Yeah, and Sandlot was made here. I mean, yeah, it's based out of a studio out of, outside of L.A., but yeah, there's right. been, there's been famous movies. Footloose was shot here back in the day. Right, yeah. Alan Lehigh did. Yeah, like yeah. Before Lehigh turned into like Silicon Slopes. Yeah, and it was literally like yeah. A gas station and a bunch of That's right. cow patties. I mean, I think it was at that flour mill was where he did the yes. dance. He did uh, the dance. Rolling Mills. That's uh, right. Power Mill or whatever that place is called. It's right off the freeway now. Very fierce dance scene if you haven't checked out Footloose. But, Great but, dance scene. But I this think is, the one in Hot Rod was better. But Maybe. <laughs> Have you seen that movie? <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. Andy Samberg, is, he's, 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 he's a character. Indeed. Um, but there's, yeah, tons of Westerns get shot here. I think John Carter Mars was shot in Utah. Uh-huh. So Westworld, the, the current TV show, is, is shot. It really? Oh, yeah. Where at? It's down, I like, believe, near Moab. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. They shoot a lot That's of really stuff cool. here. So, yeah, it's, a lot of Westerns get shot. Um, 
but yeah, we, we, we would try to shoot it here. Hopefully taking uh, advantage of some of the film commission stuff. There's tax incentives that you can get. Sure. But more importantly, this is where my network is at. Like, I don't really have any connections in LA. There's some good talent here, to be honest. I think there's plenty of talent like, to make a really amazing movie. Yeah. You just have to have the right story. For sure. And the nice thing is, too, there's a lot of, I mean, you talked about investments and whatnot. There's a lot of well-to-do people here who are looking for opportunities to invest. Sure. So, that's, that's a great thing. So, yeah. um, so, you've been acting for like three years now. Almost three years. Yeah. 2015, roughly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, what is your, what's the goal? Like, what do you... Better yet, so obviously, do you want it? Is your hope to get into like big film, or do you like the indie film? Because there's some people who do Broadway and they don't want anything else, or some who just do indie films, or some people who, yeah, you know, like. I, at yeah. what point do you say, okay, I've made it? Like when? What do you? Oh well, for me, yeah. So I I have two mindsets. Like one, like I mentioned earlier, acting's never really been like my end all, end all. Sure. So I'm not like I have to become a famous actor, and sure. I'll know I've made it when I'm you know, up there in all screens and you across the United States and I'm, I'm at the award show. Like to me, like if, don't, don't get me wrong. If someone came to me and said, Hey, I really like your look and your acting ability and who you are. I want to put you in a movie. I love creating. I love acting. Sure. So I would say, yeah, let's do it. And I wouldn't say no to that, but that's not what I'm going for. And I frankly don't think that's a possibility. I don't actually don't think I'm that great of an actor, but I enjoy the process and I enjoy sure. what I'm doing. But my end goal is, the the total creation part it's the the, the, the writing the directing and the producing yeah. so if you ask me like what my dream is my dream is i want to have a an independent film company here locally in utah sure um i do believe there is an insane amount of talent here i think the only thing we lack on a consistent basis is quality storytelling sure and quality stories but the technical ability i think is you know it's the gap between here and LA. I don't think well, you've is, is told very me far. about some. You've you've told me about a few of your scripts before. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I won't go into them because I, you probably don't want people knowing about them before you. I mean, the general idea we can chat about, but yeah. I mean, the one about the the guy whose brother in law goes to kill him or whatever, right? Yeah. The most recent one you told me about. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that story was intense. <laughs> yeah. I was on the phone and you were telling me this, and I legit was like. So distracted driving. I was in, I was in LA. That's right. You pulled. thought you got pulled over. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you were talking. I said, oh, crap. I'll call you back in five minutes. I'm getting pulled over because there was a cop with lights on, but I pulled over and he yeah. he drove past. But I ended up just staying on the side of the road and I called you back. Yeah. And you continued to tell me about it. And I was like, dude, this, that was a legit, that was a, a, an amazing story. Yeah. That was amazing. Like, I was yeah. just listening to you talk about it. And, like, in the middle of explaining it, you'd jump in and, like, share a detail or two. But it was, like, just that intense of a story. Yeah. That it could be told over the phone on the side of, I think it was on, maybe it was on the fifteen or the ten, mm-hmm. on the side of the freeway in Southern California, and you're telling me over the phone, I'm, I'm, I'm. That's awesome. I'm caught up to it, you know. Like, yeah. So and then the other one you've got about the the whole like the, the medieval yeah type stuff. That one's that one's pretty intense. Yeah, we've done a few revisions on it, and that's the one we're, we're planning on working on. The other one, you invited me to one recently. Yeah, that yeah. So that's the that's the one that I we're moving towards with the like because I've been working on that one. It's called Devotion. We've been working on it for about it's a little over a year and a half. Um, that one's that, that story is pretty sick too. Yeah, like that, it, one a lot. that one that one's um, it's kind of uh, it's a I mean everything I, I'm realizing that anytime I write something or spend a ton of time on it, there has to be something I that connects me to it in some form and so, so what is your like when you write when you sit down to write mm-hmm. do you have an idea that pops in your head you start writing or is there something some kind of inspiration that you find before you start writing or or 
Oh, I, it, How's I, your, the, prior, the writing process? Sure. Be? My process is, um, I, I imagine similar to a lot of people, I'll be driving or I'll be thinking or we'll have a conversation or, or see a movie and an idea will pop into my head. And, and an idea can be an emotion. It can be um, a scene in a film. It can be, it could just be anything. And then sure. what ends up happening is, is I spend a few days, weeks, sometimes months sure. thinking about an idea and thinking about what it would look like as a full story. Sure. And it, and the, the real good stories are the, the ones I end up usually writing are the ones that, that kind of just happen. They, they, they unravel in a way yeah. where I'm not really feeling like I have to think about anything and I'm not really having to like, you know, come up with ideas. They're just, they're happening. They're there. It's, it's creating itself. Sure. So yeah, my writing process is typically, I'll have already have sat down and written out like an outline and a synopsis and, and gotten, you know, started at a pretty basic, you know, uh, scale and then work it up to where it's much, much bigger before I sit down and write out a full script. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, the movie Devotion, the one about the witch in the medieval times, um, that one literally came um, based out of an emotion. It was I was just frustrated about this this concept of wanting things that you can't have. Sure. And I started thinking about like situations that would be like that, and what would you know? And then it just it unraveled into this story. And right. and and then it was also like another thing was like we were talking about horror films, and I I kept thinking about what's the, what's a horror character that I hate, and I realized all growing up I hated witches, <laughs> and 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 I could never figure out why because like I'd never I seen know it. exactly why. Dude. Why why? It was the movie about those witches that turned that kid into a mouse. <laughs> yeah, bro. that's right. No Witch, one knows what that was called. Angelica but... Houston. It's called Witches. Is, okay, there you go. Yeah, it's called Witches. Dude, that movie was that... one of the most scary movies of all time. <laughs> Back and watch it now, you'll laugh at it because it's totally horrible. Well, I mean, but as a kid, it's terrifying because these women are taking off all their masks, yes. and they're actually like these really, you know, disgustingly haggard women under yeah, underneath. It was traumatizing. Yeah, and they turn that little boy into. Like, what was their demographic? It could have been children. <laughs> like, it parents been. who wanted to see their children scream and cry. Dude. Yeah, and that was a horrible film. It's no, so it was. Scary. It's it's a, actually a, a really it's fun a film. Movie, it's great. But, as a child, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. Holy hell, it was terrifying. Yeah, so, but witches were this thing that they, they always would find your weakness and exploit it. And so for me, all, for many years, I always felt like my desires were always things that were unobtainable and they always led to doom in some way. <laughs> and so that's where the kind of the, the crux of the story Interesting. Um, was born from. But yeah. Interesting. So, but but it can. I have friends who they they just they see something. They they're maybe more visually sure. connected to their stories. So they'll they'll see a sunset or they'll see a, a location, like the one I was telling you about the the one about the the guy who gets betrayed by his friend. Yeah. That one is um, inspired by a town in Utah that okay. me and a friend, a mutual friend of mine, who I'm co-writing with, um, we both have been to that town and we just loved that town. And so our idea was to shoot. Kind of a uh, like a neo western thriller in yeah. that town, yeah. and we want to shoot it there, and that's what this story. And so when we came together, we, we okay, well let's come up with a bunch of ideas. So I wrote down a bunch of ideas, and my first idea was this idea, this uh -huh. concept, yeah. and I brought it up to him, and we didn't add, we didn't actually talk about any other ideas. We just kept with this just idea. Well, because it had legs. He liked it from the very beginning. Yeah. I, I I wasn't sure about it to be honest. How far are you in the process on that one? Are you um, we've written probably 80 pages on our first draft, on our rough draft. So we've done a ton of outlining. We spent many nights just talking about characters and going through. And we're co-writing, so we, 
the process is taking a break for about a month now just because we both have like things have come up. Sure. But um, it's typically, you know, I'll write 10 pages, then he edits, we chat about it, we make sure we're on the same page, and then it flips back to him and he'll write, and so on and so forth. What city is it? It's Helper, Utah. Where's that at? So if you're driving on the way to like Moab, uh-huh. you'll be on your way, right before I think it's Price is what you, you'll hit, there's a little town called Helper, and it's an old coal mining town. Okay. And as you're driving through this canyon, you'll look up on the sides, and there's these like chutes where they like would throw like, 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 I think it's lumber that they used to throw down there, but it's just this eerie town because it's it's like a it's like a not a ghost town, but it's it might as well be. A lot of the the buildings that used to be, you know, commercial, pardon me, commercial buildings are now like abandoned run down, and yeah. run down, and yeah. there it's just it's just an old weird town. That's cool. So we want to shoot something like that to where it feels like a dying town in the middle of kind of Midwest, you know, United States. And shoot uh, and tell a story that we think you know is somewhat somewhat exciting. So yeah, that's the hope. Huh. Have you ever thought about going to like L.A., moving to L.A. and doing that whole like being a waiter and working at a restaurant? Because <laughs> that, like, that sounds super fun. Dude, that's what they always do. Like, anytime you see a movie about someone who's like trying to make it in the industry, like you made that sound so enticing. Have you ever thought about moving to L.A. and becoming a waiter and working at a restaurant and then and then driving through the traffic for three hours a day to auditions to get like La La Land. That's yeah. a great movie, by the way. Yeah. I Some mean, people didn't like it. I liked it. I had a really hard time watching it, I actually. Why? Well, because when I walked away. Okay, so. The, you walked out? No, at the very. Okay, so about three-fourths of the way through the movie, I lean over my little sister and I go, this is the best movie of the year and it's not close. I was having such a good time. Sure. Then the movie ended. <laughs> and, I lean, and I'm walking out and I'm, I'm muttering swear words under my breath. And my dad's there and he's like. If you know my dad, he's the sweetest man on earth. Sure. So I dare not swear in front of him. But I'm just like, my dad's like, what'd you think? I'm like, oh, I hate that movie. It's the worst movie of the year. And I meant it. And then I've had more time to digest it. What did you not like about it? Like, What changed the last I hate how truthful it is. <laughs> <laughs> I hate how effective it was at breaking my heart and making me feel like, because to me it wasn't so much about like what people will do to get success I mean, there's many different lessons to be learned. It was sure. so heartbreaking at the end because I'm still convinced to this day that he was not happy even though he got what he wanted, which was to have his club. And she got what she wanted, which was to be an actress. Yeah. But they didn't get technically what they needed, which was each other. Well, yeah. And and that for me is really, really sad because I I don't like I don't like the... I don't like the world and the belief that I have... I have to sacrifice something to get the things that I want. And the thing being love. Because to me, sure. love is that thing. But but it's probably true. And it's probably part of the reason why I'm divorced. And it's probably part of the reason why I have a difficult time in relationships is because I I won't make concessions on things. Sure. Whereas these people were willing to and they became successful. And maybe I'm misreading the whole thing. But it was just so terribly sad. At the very end when he's playing the piano, he looks back at her in the crowd and she's with her husband. And frankly, like I know people try to convince me that she's sad too. Or that they both were happy because they both got what they wanted. And I'm thinking, he's clearly not happy. He's still thinking about her. He named the bar after the, the thing that she said it should be. True. She, he still had her on the mind. True. And she had moved on and married Guy from That Thing You Do. <laughs> <laughs> she married the drummer. And the drummers always get the girls. And the piano players are stuck off in their own bars somewhere. 
and they're crying themselves playing, you know. On Jazz Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. No, it was just, it was just a really truthful so, movie. It was really hard to watch. You didn't think the film was the worst film of the year. No, it was, no. It was too personal for you. No, it was... Since retro, I've had a lot of time in retrospection to look at it, it was probably the best film of the year, in my opinion. Okay. Because it was so, so good at, at destroying my emotions. <laughs> it made me so angry, and I kept having to ask myself why it was making me angry. And it wasn't that they did anything wrong. It's they had done so many things right. And it had gotten an emotion in me that I didn't want to... Like, but isn't that the part confirm. of film? To like, reach that's out what, to people's emotions, Absolutely. Right? It's perfect. Yeah. And, 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 and again, that's, La La Land for me has become something that, like, if anything, I've tried to seek forgiveness. Have you watched it again since? No, I, well, I can't. <laughs> I can't. I wish you guys could have seen the way he said I can't. That was just... <laughs> no. Are you kidding me? That's like saying, do you want, you want to blow your leg off again? Like... No, I, I no. It's like experiencing the death of a loved one. I would never experience that again. It it was it was that it was that. Oh man. No, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't voluntarily go through that. Have you again. ever seen the breakup with Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn? <laughs> I think I did maybe a long time. That ago. That was a great movie, and it kind of ended the same way. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> but not in the but way not in the way. I mean, again, I think La La Land has problems. Don't get me wrong. There are, there are motivations in that story that I don't necessarily believe with, or believe in rather, but. But it, it, it did it for me. And like when he goes back and he drives down to her place and convinces her to go to the audition. Uh-huh. It's just like, hell yeah, dude. Yeah. You did. You're doing it, man. You're doing the right thing. This is it. Humble yourself. Go and, and, and help her do this. Get her dream. Yeah. And then they're on that hill overlooking L.A. Uh-huh. And they're kind of having this like DTR. Like, well, what, what are we? I'm going to be moving to Europe. And he's like, well, I'm going to be doing my thing. And, and then it... For, you know, like ellipses, I hated right? when she went to Europe. That I knew, I knew it was gonna. It started to go south for me. Like, I mean, here's the thing. I love Ryan Gosling. He's like one of my favorite people. Sure. I mean, I loved Paul Walker more. Rest in pieces. <laughs> oh but since Paul Walker passed away, Ryan Gosling has been like my new, my new fave. Now that, now that Paul's out of the way, Ryan can take Dude, the throne. I don't like talking about Paul. It just makes me super depressed. But. I in that part of the movie when she went to Europe, I was like, "Dude, you already know what's gonna happen. This is like the Notebook version two. He's gonna get screwed again." <laughs> notebook worked out for him. Not really. Yeah, he, he got years the girl. Of depression, looked by himself. He was an alcoholic. <laughs> he hooked up with chicks he didn't like. Some of them were like sixes, and all because of a freaking Rachel McAdams. She'd break my heart too, man. Oh, that's true. She's so beautiful. She is. She's never been in a movie where she wasn't like. Did you see um, Date Night with Jason Bateman? Yes, a lot of fun. Dude, it was a great movie. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Every role she's in, like, dude, she's originally is gorgeous in every role she's ever done. Do you know the movie About Time? No. So it's the story of Dom Gleeson, who's the the General Hux from Star Wars, the redheaded guy. Never seen Star Wars. Like, like you've never seen the most recent Star Wars, or you've never seen any of the Star Wars? I've never seen any of them. Okay. Um... All right, I'm gonna ignore that that happened. <laughs> All right, dude. Here's the thing. All right, I've no, tried no, no, to watch it. No, there's no way. I don't want to hear that you couldn't I feel like get I'm into watching, it. Like a Chinese movie where like, the <laughs> lips don't add up to what they're saying, and it's like it was just so hard to follow. Okay. All and right. part of it is too like a lot of people I know that are that people are obsessed with Star Wars, and I like I fight anything that people are obsessed with. That that is that, that even is, if it's a good thing. 
Okay. I'm a dude. Come on. You're obsessed with it. You're a counterculturist. You. I am very you, much so. If anyone, if ever the whole group likes one thing, you you like to be the I'll guy. I'll be that's the in, dick in the crowd that says it sucked when in reality. That's not a shock to me. Knowing your personality, okay. but that's part of the reason why I like you. Okay. Good. So, uh, we'll accept that just so, based off that. So Don Gleason, okay, yeah. so he's in this story, and the, the concept of this story is that his family, his, like the males in his family have this ability that they can, if they think really strongly, they can go back to a specific time. Uh, but, it, but I don't think it's, if I remember correctly, because I only watched like the first 30 minutes of it, I think, because I got really frustrated, and I'll explain why in a sec. Okay. But I can't remember, I don't think they have a, like a way to go back to a specific point, but it goes back to a place in time. Okay. You get essentially a restart. Okay. So his dad teaches him this and he, he goes and he does it. Actually, no. The first time he ever does it. So it's a date night. He goes on the gets on this blind date and he goes on this date and it's at one of those restaurants where the, the whole restaurant is completely dark and you're eating your food in the darkness. Have you heard of these places before? It sounds horrible, but no. It does sound horrible, but there's... They're they're, real? Those are real These things. are real places and they're like typically in big cities, but... No, they're like really like niche kind of restaurants and you get brought in blind like i don't think you're blindfolded but it's in complete darkness and you're served your food and the idea i think is that do you, you know they, what you're eating like do you order like bring me this no i think you're it's one of those things where it's so high up you're trusting that the chef is bringing you something delicious stupid it might, maybe but the, no but this is. is this is the concept of the of, of these restaurants so he goes on this blind date and he and he's on a double date, right? So there's okay. four people there. Anyway, the date goes whatever. It's goofy. They go outside, and it's Rachel McAdams that he's on this blind date with. And I think at one point he tells her that he thinks she's beautiful, and she's like, "What? Oh, no one ever tells me I'm beautiful." And I'm going, "Bullshit! There's no way you're gonna convince me that." Rachel McAdams is this girl. That's probably just bad casting then. I Okay, so, so that's the case. So I think to myself, okay, whatever. I'm going to let that go and just, she's this shy girl. You never know. Sure. Beautiful girls all the time. Yeah, she blossomed late after high school. Sure, exactly, okay. Confidence issues, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to give them a pass. Yeah. So anyway, something happens. He goes home and his roommate, who's this really arrogant and jerky guy that he's not even friends with. He's just like doing him a favor letting him live there. He's like, you missed my art show. How dare you? So then he thinks to himself... Wait a second, I can go back in time and go to my friend's art show. And skip the date with Rachel McAdams. He he this guy's an idiot. He redoes he redoes the date with Rachel McAdams, which is like a perfect like introduction to them meeting, and you're thinking they're not gonna be in love. He goes back and ruins that opportunity that, that memory so he can help some guy he doesn't even care about. So he can go to his art show. And right there, I turned the movie off because I said to yeah. myself, if I would have met Rachel McAdams that night and she was humble enough to say, no one ever tells me I'm beautiful. And she seemed like, oh, this is awesome. This guy's really interesting me. And if I was Domhnall Gleeson, the goofiest, lurpiest looking guy in Hollywood, I would have been like, I just hit, I just hit the jackpot. Right. And there's no way any kind of time travel moment. I would have never gone back and ruined anything. I mean, if I had the the ability to do time travel, and I went on a date with Rachel McAdams, and I was this goofy dude, <laughs> yeah. and I got home from the date. And it, had, and, my, and it had gone perfectly. And it had gone great. And my mom called me and said, hey, your father passed away. <laughs> oh, I still no. wouldn't have gone back oh, in time. No. To, I mean, here, hindsight, my dad wants me to be happy, right? I mean, what good would it have done to like, miss out on a date with Rachel McAdams just to like... <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but but I but sure it's I mean, clear. Maybe you, like if I could have won the lottery, I go back in time and like skip the date and I like win the lottery. <laughs> Wait, so you're telling me that you wouldn't have gone back 
to spend time with your dad before he dies. But if you had won the lottery, you'd you'd skip a date with you'd yeah. skip a date with Rachel McAdams. Yeah, because <laughs> it makes perfect sense if you think about it. I don't know. It, maybe it's just difference. Because like for me, I don't think there's an amount of money that people would you could offer me where I wouldn't say I I would go back and spend time with my mom before That's she passed. True. That's true. And not to make the, the conversation somber, but I have lost it. <laughs> no, but it, it's perspective. Both your parents are alive. Yeah. And you, you imagine it and you think you, you detach emotion from it because it hasn't happened yet. But when it does happen, you may think differently. I don't know. And you may be different and that's totally fine too. Cause everyone deals with grief and pain in a different way. For sure. And I'm not, I'm not saying that the way you're dealing with it is wrong. I know for me, I would, there's no way you could offer me a billion dollars. I mean this all sincerity. I would, I would, I would refuse a billion dollars for the opportunity to go back and say goodbye to my mom and tell her I love her and tell her how grateful I was for the life that she gave me. Even if, even knowing still that she would have died. That but it, not to question you, but like she knows that. I know. Oh, I know. I know. It's not. It's and not. Like she would have been like. Eric. It's not a question of whether or not she she knows that I love her or not. Sure. It, I my that's one of the one beautiful things I have to keep as a memory for me. Yeah. Is my relationship with my mom. She was my best friend. Sure. We hadn't argued since like maybe my junior year of high school. So that's I had... because you wanted to wear Jinkos and uh, she wouldn't let you. I, I said, Mom, let me wear these puka shell necklaces and <laughs> let me get my tips frosted. And she's, she looked at me and she said, you'll thank me one day when I don't let you do this. Also, take off that turtleneck. <laughs> take off that sweater vest and go to your room. <laughs> Seriously. And I said, you don't even understand, Mom. You don't know fashion. You don't, you don't know. You're not, you're not hip. No, so no I, <laughs> I, no, it, it's, it's for me. No, I understand, I understand. But, yeah. I mean, hindsight, it's Rachel McAdams. Yeah, I know, but. I mean, we, I knew this <laughs> loopy, like, dorky dude that has nothing going for him. Well, I mean, he's in Hollywood as an actor, so he's got something going for him, but yeah. I don't know, I guess. I don't know, I'm talking myself out of what's this. What's your, what's your, what do you, what do you, th- okay, so, La La Land was, like, the best, worst movie of the year. What was the actual like, best movie of the year? Well, that was like what? Back in 2016? Yeah, yeah. This year, though. This year? No, it was 2017. It was like fall of last year. No, because 2017 last year was uh, like the year Blade Runner and stuff like that. Moonlight was two years ago. Oh, man. You're right. Yeah. Last year was like three boards and ebbing was No, already... I think La La Land was like last March. <laughs> I'm 100% positive because I watched it, in, I think, during... It was. It came out like in November or December of two thousand and sixteen. What? It's. I'm telling you, this stuff flies. Time out. Time out. Time out. Yeah. I hope you're not right. I am right. Holy. I'm crap. sad. I'm sad that I'm sad that I have to be right. But time flies this fast because this last year the best picture went to. Um. It was up for. Was it a the one about the the two, the guy the two guys that fall in love? Wasn't Moonlight. That one, oh my gosh. I know you're talking about. I never saw You know it. what I'm talking about? But, yeah. With uh, Army Hammer and the other guy. Timothy yeah, yeah. Chalamont, I think is his name. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, um, I don't know what you're talking about. And then there's another film, uh, I, Tonya. This was the year of I, Tonya. I, Tonya was amazing. I watched it. Yeah, it was good. Did you like it? Yeah, it was fun. It's good. You didn't love it. I didn't love it. What did you not like? Um, I mean, I, it, the story was amazing. And I it, here's why I liked it. Like, you think of Tanya Harding, and you think of this, like, psycho chick that, like, was just a selfish maniac and ruined Nancy Kerrigan's career. But there's so much more to the story than that. Her mom and her husband were both 
physically and mentally, verbally abusive. They forced her to do these things. Comes to find out that like, there's a very good chance that Tanya Harding actually had nothing to do with the bashing of her knee. Remember? Her and her husband yeah. were even together at the time. No, I, l- listen, I remember about memory. I remember it hitting the news. And I don't know if it was just the way my mom was talking about it, but I never viewed Tanya Harding as the person that was, like, instrumental in that. Like, obviously, I, I believe that she had... I did. See, I, did. I, I never thought, like, she, she was the one pulling the trigger or, or telling people to go do this. I obviously knew she was... I thought she was involved. Sure. But um, I think for, the thing for me is, like, they... In the very beginning of the movie, they're talking... I think... I can't remember the exact same, but they pretty much, like, say, it went down like this, but not really like this. Sure. And so part of me wonders how much was act- is, is cinema. You know what was garbage? The fact that the judge had the ability to ban her from figure skating for life. Yeah, that was harsh. I was like, time out. That was probably the hardest part for the That the was the worst. Part. Yeah. I'm like, time out. And then like her plea, like, I mean, obviously it wasn't really... Yeah, if you, if you take away figure skating for me, like, I... And it was true. She like, really, I'll have nothing. She never had anything. Yeah. Dropped out of school, forced to by her mom at, like, It's 11, clear that... It, years old. I think her, her one... Her biggest mistake in, in life... Unfortunately, and this is really not even her fault. Maybe is she has a, she was a poor lack of judgment in the people she surrounded herself. Correct, with. but a lot of that had to do with her mom and the way her mom forced her into these. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Her mom was very abusive from the young age. Yeah, and her mom, the 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 actress, I feel terrible. I can't remember, but the actress that played her mom was insane. She was she was so good. She was really good. I mean, she won best supporting actress. She also looked exactly like the real mom. Yeah. Like, I watched was, the, the clip after. I was like, why wouldn't they just give the Ramanga do? Do you like do you like biopics typically? I do. So movies that are based in reality Correct. that are like I do. Like, you, did you watch the O.J. Simpson series? Uh. Uh-uh. See, I loved that. Yeah. So you you so I feel like you love like really like stuff that's grounded like I don't even say it it, it kind I of like, is historical fiction. It is historical fiction. Like it, it's 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 cultural fiction. Right. right? Like, Rudy, you like Rudy? No. Oh, you didn't like Rudy? No, I did when I was oh, a kid, but then I got older and realized that it was, it was extremely um, exaggerated. <laughs> and you don't like Rudy because you found out that he didn't actually sack anyone in the very yeah, end. Yeah, he actually didn't do anything except step <laughs> on the field. And, and I, in my opinion, being like playing sports my entire life, like that's cool. But, but the not sack, the movie. but the sack isn't really the part of the movie that really matters. Anymore. It is. He got not for me. Off the field. And yeah, like, they care. I mean, he was basically. But that's, that's, he was a water boy. It was basically, Bobby Boucher means goes to Notre Dame. But Bobby Boucher was an All-American. Pre-All-American. <laughs> Bobby Boucher pre, as the water Pre boy. the chance he actually got to be. Yeah. Yeah, like he literally never played it down and got a dress out and they carried him off the field. And it's like, I mean. But it's the story of a kid who comes from, you know, this, this steel, steel mining or this, you know, this steel factory town. people who do that all the time that make that, that, that get rejected from Notre Dame multiple times and keep going and walk on and actually get to put on a jersey at the very end. I don't know. I just think there's something about that the story that is in it's enchanting. I don't know. I liked it. Dude, when I was you're a kid. you're Rudy, man. You where did you come from? You came you, you you've you've worked your way up and and people continuously keep telling you no, you can't do that, you can't do that thing and you're continuously moving it up there. Now, I'm not saying that you've never accomplished anything because to me the sack yeah, isn't what he accomplished. Well, that's called called being hungry, you know. If you're if you're ever like, oh, I've accomplished something, then really at the end of the day, you're you're gonna lose long term. The thing for me that I struggle with Rudy was just learning the real story of it, and it was that's not how it happened. Sure. But then it's like you watch Tanya, I Tanya, the O.J. Simpson case, or but you could say that argue the same thing for that stuff. A lot of that stuff didn't happen. I mean, at least the way they say it did. 
the outcomes happened. Okay, so you're saying Rudy, the like outcome you're was... talking about the big public thing that Correct. everyone talked about actually never happened. Correct. That's fair. Correct. Like the story. Okay, let me back up. The story itself is great. Like it's not like they 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 got in there and, and like acted like Nancy Kerrigan was gunned down. Correct. Right. They didn't try to change it. But but the stuff in private they maybe sure. either elaborated on. And that's or... why stories are based on true stories. Okay. Right. I mean, there's no transcript saying like, oh, at this moment of her life, she said this to her husband. But that's all. I mean, my experience in cinema. No story is ever actually true. Everything is taken and 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 twisted in a way that either makes it more accessible to the audience or more interesting. The Matrix and, is true. Yeah, that's right. And it really could be. You said that with a straight face for about a microsecond to make me believe that you actually thought that, and I and I was like, oh gosh, <laughs> what have I gotten? You no, know, it could be. You never know. I think about that, and it, ju- <laughs> it just weirds me out. Red, I feel like red pill or blue pill, man. What are you gonna take? I I'd probably go red. Yeah. Um, no, but like part of the problem too is, is the reason why we have documentary, uh, uh, documentaries is real life sometimes is so unbelievable that if you watched it in like a, a narrative storytelling aspect, it would seem unreal. Well, you know what's weird? That's not possible. That, that, that's too weird. Like what's, give an example of what you think would be like a story told generations in the future that people would not believe it happened okay so there's this one called the staircase it's a documentary right now on on netflix okay and the concept is this guy he's a he's a he's a like a fictional like novelist and he's the story his story is that he's down by his pool and he goes upstairs to or down by his pool he's outside his house and he walks up to his house and his wife is at the base of the stairs in a massive puddle of blood and, and this is a real story? This is a real document. This really happened. Uh, he's in a massive puddle of blood. And the real story... So police officers show up. He calls up. He's like, my wife is, you know, has fallen down the stairs. They get there. Oh, wait, who's this based on? I can't remember the guy's name. I, I know this story. This is a real story. Th- that's what I'm saying. It's a documentary. Yeah, okay. So what I'm saying is, is the whole... Like, his claim is that she fell down all the stairs. Their claim is that he beat her to death. But they can't find any weapons, okay? They can't find any cast-off, so any of the other stuff. Like, there isn't a great scientific description of what happened. And then someone makes this suggestion, and so this evidence starts to come out. And I don't know if this is real, but this is the kind of narrative that it would be too, too crazy to believe. Sure. People are like, the owl theory. It's this theory that there are these larger owls that are, are native to that area that attack people. And on the back of their head, her head, there was these, these markings that they never, they didn't fracture her skull. Her skull had never been fractured in the entire time that she was killed. There were lacerations though, and just huge amounts of bleeding. And inside of her skull, they found micro feathers from this owl. And so... What? The theory, a lot of this owl theory, is that this owl, she was intoxicated or maybe on some drugs, like some prescription drugs as well. Sure. And that this owl came and attacked her and like got in her hair and was attacking her and literally like clawed her and she fell and hit and the combination of the two and this owl is the one who killed her. Long story short, and spoiler alert, if you are going to watch The Staircase, <laughs> skip forward like 30 seconds, but... He goes to jail. He goes to jail. He gets accused of this. And then evidence comes out later that this had happened. And so they're thinking now, uh, maybe he didn't kill her. Right. 
This is a real story. When, when did that but if you saw that in a movie, would you believe that? No. Of course you wouldn't. No. You'd be like, this is the dumbest thing ever. An owl comes down and... and owls are extremely evil, though. <laughs> I have a theory about owls. Satan control all owls? Uh, I wouldn't go that far, but there's definitely something dark and terrifying about owls. Yeah? Look at the Bohemian Grove. I'll just say that. I know. It's a real thing. I listen. The damn owl's name is Carr, and they do human sacrifices. (laughs) All these like politicians.